0: good morning. Before we get started, important question to ask, is anyone here watching or planning to watch the Obi-Wan Kenobi show? Anyone here watch? Praise God. Y'all my peoples. I mean, we're all, you know, Christians. We're all brothers and sisters. But for those of y'all who go that extra mile, we like nerds together. So it's such a good show. If you haven't watched it, go ahead and watch it. Is the feet, everything okay? All right, good. No, thank you so much for the invite back. Had a good time last year when me and my family came, and uh, I just appreciate the invitation back to be with you guys. Uh, with that said, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll, we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. We thank you for your love and your mercy, your grace. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for one another, your body, Lord, would you be with us all? Would you forgive us, O Lord, for our sins as we forgive those who have done us wrong? Lord, would you speak through me to your people? May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable to you, O Lord, my God. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. On June 19th, 1865... Two years after the issuing of the Emancipation Proclamation by President Abraham Lincoln, General Gordon Granger of the Union Army rode into Galveston, Texas, with his soldiers. And there he read to the slaves, General Order Number Three, which began with, the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation From the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. Again, this was two years after the Emancipation Proclamation was issued, and yet slavery was still in the United States. So from that day onward, June 19th, it's now a federal holiday. It's now known as Juneteenth, which is next Sunday, a week from today. And that day really is looked upon as Black America's independence and is filled with uh, food and fun and conversations about really important topics within the Black community. But I want you to do something for me. I want you to imagine that you are one of those enslaved. And from the earliest memory that you have from a toddler, look at the toddlers in our midst, from a toddler all the way to your adult years, all that you know of life is working in a harsh, brutal Texas sun and humidity. You work under the threat of your slave master's whip if you do not work the way that, you, the way that he wants you to work. You're always under that threat that if he's not pleased with something, I can feel the crack of that whip on my back. If you are married, it's probably good that you don't get married because your family can be torn from you at any second. If you displease your master, they can rip away your husband or wife. And if you have children, more than likely you will not see them grow up. And from the earliest thoughts of your day until you lay down at night, what is your one thought? What is the one thing that you dream of at night? What's the one thing that you pray for? What's the one thing that when you're working and your fingers are bleeding and blistering up because they're being cut constantly, what's the one thing on your mind when you're out there? Freedom. All you want is a life of dignity as an image bearer of God. All you want is to be treated as a whole human being. But your great-grandparents wanted that, too, and they died enslaved. Your grandparents wanted that, and they died enslaved. And now your parents wanted that, and you watched your parents die enslaved. So you start to lose hope because if they didn't get what they wanted, why do you think you will? Liberty and justice for all except for you because you're not a part of that all. You're seen as three-fifths of a human being. And one day when you're in the field going about your daily business, you hear the sound of horses rushing toward you and you look up and you see a man get off his horse with a union uniform and he says the words that you have been waiting to hear your entire life. When you read the Bible or you've heard it read to you, and you read the Exodus story, and you see that God, the God of the Hebrews, rescued his people, and you've taken that story as your own. You say, Lord, do for me and my people what you did for the Hebrews, your people. You finally hear those words. The war has been won. President Lincoln has issued a decree. You are now free. Can you imagine what it must have felt like to be enslaved and to hear those words? Can you imagine what it must have felt like to be able to give that good news to those who are enslaved? That what you've been praying for your entire life has now come to pass. You are free. Saints, we know what that feels like to some extent. We know what it is to be enslaved by sin and by Satan. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this. He says to pray, what? To pray for those who are held captive by Satan to do his will. Pray for those who are enslaved to their sin, enslaved to Satan the way that we were once enslaved to Satan and to our sin. Have we forgotten how we once were enslaved to our passions and desires, to our flesh, to our sin, to Satan himself? And have we forgotten what it is to be freed by our great emancipator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, What? I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Whoever, what does he say in John 8? Whoever the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. I have come t- for liberation, to set the captives free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was his first sermon. I have come for what? For freedom. This is what we saints have been called to. We're not just to sit back and wait to go to heaven one day. We're not just to sit back and just be thankful that our ticket to heaven has been stamped. We have been called to take the emancipation proclamation of our Lord Jesus Christ, his gospel message to the world to those who are still held captive to sin and to Satan. We've been given this holy privilege, a duty from God. Yes, it's a privilege. Yes, it's an honor, but it's also a command. It's a duty from our sovereign king himself. The question I have for all of us today, myself included, is, are we taking this command seriously? Are we obeying him? By taking and supporting the gospel to those here at home, in our own communities, our own nation, but also re-obeying him by taking and supporting the sending of the gospel overseas as well. Our passage this morning, Romans 10, 13 through 15, and we'll get to that in just a sec, it's the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is really the Apostle Paul's missionary prayer and support raising letter to the Roman church. And in chapters 9 through 11, which our passage is situated in, Paul is addressing this issue of Jewish Israel. And basically the question he's answering is these Roman Christians, these non-Jewish Christians are saying, well, listen, we're thankful for our salvation. But what happened to your people, Paul? You guys are the chosen people, the, the the covenant people. The Messiah has come from your own lineage. Why is it that the majority of your own people don't receive Jesus, Yeshua, as the Messiah? What's going on? And he's writing about the place of Jewish Israel in God's cosmic redemptive plan. And in this chapter, chapter 10, Paul reveals his evangelistic heart. Paul is very, very evangelistic. And, and, and what he's doing is he, he says that my prayer to God for my fellow Israelites, Romans 10.1, my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That is Paul's burden. Paul, we know, was an apostle to the Gentiles. But if you read the book of Acts, what does Paul do every time he goes to a city. He goes to the synagogue first, and he tries to reach his people, because even though I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, my heart still beats in love for my people. And and listen, he says something that I'm going to be honest with you. Have you guys ever sang a song, and it's like, I can't wait to see Jesus, Jesus, I want to see you right now, and you sing it, but I've started to not sing that, because I can't, say that in honestly, like, honestly, I don't, I mean, I, listen, I want to see Jesus. I do. But I don't want to see him right now because that means I got to die. And I don't want that yet. You know what I mean? So, when I'm like, Jesus, I just want to see you now. Mm, I'm, I don't know if I want to say that because I don't know if I can be honest with it. And Paul says something in Romans chapter 9. Paul says this. He goes, I would be willing to die and go to hell. I'd be willing to be cut off This is Romans 9, 1 through 5. I would be willing to be cut off from Christ if my people could be saved. If I could trade my salvation for theirs, which means I'm eternally lost, I would do it. And then he says, my conscience bears witness, I'm telling the truth, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit bears witness. That is a bold claim. I want to ask you something, Risen. Honestly, please raise your hand if God says, you know what? If you give up your salvation for all these people— Who here would take them up on that offer? I've yet to been in a church where anyone has raised their hands. Thank you for keeping it 100 with me. Because I'm like, there's no way in the world I would take that deal. I love people. I want to see people saved. But no way am I giving up my salvation for others. But Paul can say that. Paul has this evangelistic uh, uh, heart. And what he says about the Jewish people, he goes, they have a zeal for God But they don't understand that the way to become right with God is by faith in Jesus alone. It's not by the works of the law, doing the right things, keeping the moral law. It's not by doing good things that anyone is made righteous with God because the law of God condemns us. It doesn't just condemn the Jewish person, it condemns us Gentiles, us non-Jews. Paul is saying that the law of God, when you really see how holy God is, and we look at the mirror of God's law, we see that we have broken his moral law. The law doesn't say, hey, you've obeyed me and you're righteous. The law says you have broken these commandments, and therefore wrath and judgment hangs on you. And Paul is saying if you are trying to earn your way into right standing with God, To heaven, you will not attain it. And that's what he says about his Jewish people. He goes, they have a zeal. They really want to serve God. But they don't realize that the way to get right with God is through his Messiah. It's through Jesus of Nazareth. Faith and trust in him. Repenting of sin and placing their trust in him. Because he is the only one who perfectly obeyed God's law. He's the only one who died for our sins and rose again. Three days later. So now we get to verse 13 where Paul makes it clear who is this message of salvation for? He says it. He says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone, not just the Jewish people, but Gentiles too. The gospel is for every single person. But there's a problem though. I remember uh, in Southern California where I grew up, I was at a community college and one thing I love to do, I love to go to college campuses and just talk to students about Christ. And I remember talking to this 19 year old Latino student named Austin, super nice guy, really sweet. And I said, hey, you know, I'm out here talking to people about you know, what they believe about God and spiritual things, religion, do you mind if we chop it up and talk? And he was waiting for a class and he said, sure. He goes, well, I have to let you know, I'm, I'm an atheist. And I'm like, well, perfect you some of my favorite folks to talk to, so let's chop it up. So we start talking and had a great conversation where he's asking questions I'm answering. I go through the gospel with him. And at the end of our conversation, I just asked him, I said, Austin, has, we, we live in SoCal. This church is so close by. Has anyone ever talked with you about Jesus? Have they ever taken the time to love you enough to share with you this message of salvation? And he looks down, he looks at me, he goes, never. And I said, honestly, you live in America, you're 19, no one has ever taken the time simply to tell you about Jesus. He goes, no, this is my first conversation. This is the first time I've ever spoken with someone about this. And it broke my heart for this reason. You guys, we live in the United States of America. Churches on almost every corner. Bibles, all around good christian content and there are people here in america who have never heard the gospel of jesus christ so if that's the case here in america think about overseas how many people don't know a christian don't have a church to go to have never read the bible have never even heard the name of jesus And I want to ask you a question, and this is the question I ask myself too. Do those in your life know that you're a Christian? Do they know how they can find and receive, receive eternal life? This is not to beat anyone up. This is just to ask a real question. Do those in our circles of influence, do they even know who we serve? Do they know how important Jesus is to us? Do they know how they can have a right relationship with God? And if they don't, the question then becomes, why not? What is more important than someone's right standing with God? Nothing. Does this evangelistic heart in Paul also beat in our hearts? Or are we content? to let those we know walk in and out of our lives not knowing the Savior, not even knowing really about Him or how they can become right with Him. The problem is that the gospel is for everyone, but not everyone knows it. According to the Joshua Project, an unreached people group is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize that people group without outside assistance. According to the Joshua Project, there are 17,406 people groups with 7,402 of those people groups unreached, which means that 42.5% of Earth's people groups have yet to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not all, sadly. According to Wycliffe Bible Translators, there are 7,360 languages in the world, with the full Bible being translated into 704 of those languages, which means that one in five people are still waiting for the entire Bible to be translated into their language, something that convicted me when I was thinking about this, people are still waiting for any portion of the Bible. How many Bibles do we have on our shelves? And then I want to pose one more question. How often is that those Bibles being read? And then not just read, how often are those Bibles being obeyed? I look at my bookshelf, I have all these Bibles there, and I'm like, So many people in the world don't even have one copy of the Scripture. Not even one. I'm not telling you to get rid of all your Bibles. I'm just saying we need to be knowledgeable, appreciative of what we have, but then also be passionate about, let's go ahead and bless the nations by making sure that they have the Scripture in their own language, in their own hands, on their own shelves. So I just want to break it down just one step further. According to the Joshua Project, there are 7.84 billion people on earth with 3.27 billion of the people on earth still unreached for Christ. So that means that 41.8% of earth's population don't know that God loves them so much that he sent his son to save them. They don't know that they can become members of the kingdom of God, or as my pastor Lance Lewis likes to call it, they don't know that they can become members of God's new society and live the spiritually abundant life that Christ gives now. They don't know that they're still in their sins and on their way to a real place called the lake of fire, which is tragic. And at this point, I know, because I had this objection or question at one point in my life too, which is, well, hold on that doesn't seem fair that they'd go to hell even though they haven't heard the gospel. And I understand why some think that. It's an understandable question or objection. But the Bible, it speaks of something called general revelation. And that is the knowledge that we get about God from our conscience and from creation itself. According to the Bible, humanity knows that God exists Just as a painting points that there was a painter, this building points that there was a builder, so creation points to a creator. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. When you get the time, I encourage everyone, Romans 1, 18 to 32, read what Paul says in that section. Have you guys ever been in the pool and you get a beach ball or something and you try to hold it under? What happens if you let go of your hand? Go ahead, brother. It comes back up, right? That's the picture that Paul is saying. He goes that humanity, because of our sin, we suppress that truth of God. We hold it down. We hold it down. But because we live in God's world and we're God's creatures, that knowledge of God always seems to pop back up in our face. So when atheists tell me it's wrong for that mass shooting to have occurred, I go you're right. But you're just showing the knowledge of God because if we live in a unguided universe where there's no moral lawgiver and no moral law, then that's not objectively evil, that's just subjectively you don't like it. As Dr. King said in his letter from a Birmingham jail, when he was writing to a bunch of white moderate pastors, he goes, "You tell me to slow down. You tell me to stop with all the nonviolent protests because I'm going too fast and I'm going too far and you don't like it. But let me tell you, he goes, there is a law above the law of the land. You're telling me not to, to stop because the law of America says that this is wrong. But the law of God is above the law of the land. The law of America says that segregation is good. The law of God says it is a sin because we are to love our neighbor as ourselves so we can appeal to that law of God. Anytime we make any moral statements, that is a knowledge of God coming out. We are showing that we are image of God, Imago Dei. Animals don't make court systems and criminal justice systems, but we do. Why? Because we image our God. As he loves justice, so do we. As he loves mercy, so do we. We image him the way that our children, for those of you who have children, who, here, who in here is a parent? Do, y'all, do you do guys' kids do stuff that either good or bad, you're like, ooh, that is, that is so me right there? There's times where my son will talk back and say stuff. I'm like, ooh, and I'm like, oh, that's me though. He, he, he's imaging me right now, and that makes me even more mad at him because I'm like, dude, you got that from me. Stop it. That's how it is with God. We are his image bearers. When people look at us, they should see him. And according to the Bible, humanity has this conscience. We have this innate sense of right and wrong. We know right and wrong because we're his image bearers. And even for those who have never heard of Jesus, they still sin against the knowledge and light that God has given them. We all have a knowledge. We all have this light that God has given us. So listen, people who've never heard of Jesus, they don't go to hell because they've never heard of Jesus. They go to hell like anybody else because of their sin and because they act against the light that they have. Plus, if people who never heard about Jesus automatically go to heaven, what is the worst thing, saints, that we can do to people? If someone has never heard of Jesus and that means that they automatically go to heaven, what is the worst thing that you can do to that person? Do you know? Thank you thank you why if people automatically go to heaven if they've never heard of Jesus why would you tell them about Jesus it's like yo don't say nothing about them don't, don't, don't give them a Bible don't pray for them don't mention. don't invite them to church leave them alone because they're automatically going but we know that's not true and that's why we take pains to send missionaries and plant churches and send Bibles and provide holistic aid so that they can know because Paul says in 17 of chapter 10, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And this is why Paul then asks, he asked the Roman church and us in verses 14 and 15 of our passage. He says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent Our Lord Jesus has sent us to share the gospel with those across the street from us and those across the sea from us. And as we listen to our Lord and we obey his command and we preach his gospel as his witnesses, the elect of God hear and as they hear, they'll respond in belief by calling on the name of the Lord for salvation. And I think, what I'm about to say, it applies, I think, to just humanity in general. I really think that we really feel like we're doing God a favor. Like, we, what do we, like when we give our tithes and offerings, all right, God, I guess I'll give you a little bit. All right, God, I guess I'll help you out and share the gospel. You guys, quick question. What does God need from us? I'm from the black church, so I can sit back and just wait till I can hear some answers. What, do, what does God need from us? Thank you, brother. Say it again. God needs absolutely nothing from us. God is not lacking in anything. The triune God is self-sufficient within himself, but he creates. Why? Because just like as parents, we love to shower our children with gifts, right? Because we want to share our love with them. God creates, not because he's lonely, but God creates because he goes, I have all this joy in my heart. I have all this joy, all this love, and I want to share it and pour it out on my creation. When God creates man and breathes the breath of life into him, God sits back and goes, it is very good. God is like, I am excited to share who I am in life with you. God doesn't need anything from us, but we so often think that we're doing him a favor. You guys, God doesn't need us to share the gospel. He could do it himself. He could send his angels to do it, but God wants us. He says, I want you to be co-laborers with me. Y'all, if that's not the most humbling, exciting thing, God is saying, no, 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 no. I don't need any of you. I'm God. You need everything from me. But God says, I don't need you, but I want you. I want you to partner with me. I want you to help bring my shalom, my peace, my joy, my life, to this broken world. That's one thing I love, and I just saw it this morning, your your justice and community groups, I believe, because it's not just about waiting to go to heaven. It's about bringing the wholeness and the healing of Jesus Christ to this world. As he's healing us, we help to bring his healing to others. It is not just a duty, you guys, to share the gospel, to verbally open our mouths and proclaim the truth of God's word to people and to share it in love and humility with passion and boldness. It is a privilege to do so, you guys. He wants you, each and every one of you, to partner with him. He wants me. Are we doing it? Are we partnering with him? The last part of verse 15 says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Why? Why? Because they bring the good news to those spiritually enslaved that Jesus offers spiritual freedom and one day physical freedom. We work for that now, but one day the whole creation will be liberated, including his people. He offers this freedom to all who repent and trust in him alone. Imagine if General Gordon Granger never went to Texas and never told those slaves, you're free. The war is won. Those men, that man brought beautiful feet. If you read the Old Testament, the context of this, passage, of this verse, the beautiful feet, are those who would go to the mountaintop or proclaim the war has been won. Freedom, liberation, Victory is yours. It's been achieved. If he never went, those people would have continued living enslaved lives, even though that freedom was theirs by right. Now, think about what happens if we don't go to those we know in our communities, our workplaces, even our own families with the gospel. Think about the 3.27 billion people around the globe who have never been reached for Christ, they don't know him. They don't even know his name, a lot of them. We have work to do, saints. We can do it all. But we can do some things. We can pray, we can support, we can give, we can go. There are so many who have never heard So many who need to hear about him who loves them. Will we take our our, our place alongside our Savior who says, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Will we walk as he walked? Will we also seek those who are lost so that they can find salvation in him? We must be about our Father's business. Why? Because Christ is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. And what is that? That's the worship and obedience of the nations. If you're a Christian, you have beautiful feet. Because you're in Christ, because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you already have beautiful feet. The question is, are you and I putting them to use? Are we putting this be- our beautiful feet to use? by verbally sharing the gospel with the lost. And let me make something very clear as we get ready to close in a few minutes. We don't go and share the gospel, both here or at the nation's. We don't do it out of guilt. We don't say, well, all right, let me go do it because I know I have to. It's a shame, you know, out of a shame. That's not why we do this. Please don't hear me say, go out there out of guilt. Why do we go out there? It's out of love for God and love for others. But even more than that, it's because we ourselves are loved by our Father. You guys, for those of you who are married, are currently dating someone, and remember when you got that first date, man, you asked her out. She said yes. What was your emotion at that point? It wasn't like, well, Cool. Maybe you played it off that way, but I'm sure inside you're like, yes, I got the date. Don't mess it up. Let's go for date number two. You couldn't wait to share this unless, you know, maybe you're not like me, but I couldn't wait to share when I got my first date with my wife, telling my boys, yo, man, I'm going out with Jana. Let's hope this works out. Hopefully I don't do anything dumb or say anything stupid. I was excited to tell people about this date because I was so excited. When we experience and are bathed and immersed, and I know we're Presbyterian, but yes, when we are immersed in the love of God the Father and of the Son and the Spirit, we can't wait but to tell others about that, about Him. You guys know I work for a missions organization. If y'all are like, you know what, I want to maybe talk about going on a mission trip. Come talk to me. I would love to help y'all go on a trip, either this year or next year. But whether you go or not, pray. At the very least, pray for the nations. When is the last time you and I have prayed that God will be glorified among the nations and that the elect among the nations would come to faith in Christ? At the very least, pray for the nations. And pray for your communities. Continue. I know you guys are. Continue to love them in word and deed. Continue to serve them. I'm so encouraged by what I saw today. And continue to verbally share about the love of Christ and how they can be made right with God as well. And if you're here, um, or you're listening online, I know we're in a church, but I never want to assume that everyone in this room is actually following Jesus. I I pray everyone is. But just because someone sits in the church doesn't mean that they're actually a Christian. So what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord and be saved? It means to acknowledge that we are created by him, loved by him, but that we are broken, we are sinful, we have broken that law, And it's to ask him, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for all the ways that I have uh, uh, gone against you. And it's to ask for his forgiveness and to trust in Jesus alone. If you are not a Christian, you may have been here for years, you may be listening, and you may say, I know all the right answers, but you have never actually trusted in Jesus alone for your salvation. Do so today. Call on the name of Jesus today and be saved, because today is the day of salvation. Before we pray out, I want you to listen to these lyrics from Atlanta-based rapper. Do you guys know who Lecrae is? Okay, Lecrae song from 08 Beautiful Feet uh, featuring this uh, rapper from uh, Atlanta named Don Toya and it says this and I've never forgotten and I love it he says go 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 run with those beautiful feet go 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 you hold the truth that saves so run and shout it to the world they can't believe in something they ain't never heard so go 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 and run with those beautiful feet. May we follow the beautiful feet of our Savior who rushed down from heaven to live, die, and rise for us because he is worthy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you. We love you. Father, would you be glorified? We thank you that your beautiful feet were pierced for our transgression. So Lord, may we use our beautiful feet to tell others about Your pierced and broken body, your shed blood, and your glorious resurrection from the dead, by which anyone who places their trust and faith in you alone will receive eternal life. We love and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.